Hello and welcome to the Sleep Teacher Pod, the podcast for all the parents out there who just want sleep. I'm Christy, owner of The Sleep Teacher, and I am joined by my colleague, Beck. If you are in the trenches of sleep deprivation, we see you, we feel you, and trust us, this podcast is going to become your new BFF. We want you to know that you can still be a lovingly attached parent and get good sleep. You don't have to choose between the two. So pop Bob in the carrier, grab yourself a coffee, put those headphones in, because we have all the sleep tips coming your way. Let's get napping, Mama. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sleep Teacher Podcast. I'm Christy. I'm Beck. And we are both dealing with kids at home. Six between us, actually. <laughs> Beck's in her second week because it is, she's in Queensland, so she's in her second week school holidays. I am literally into day four today. So yes, uh, traveling up to Byron Bay tomorrow. We're going away in our caravan just one of the things for us, like it may seem like we are always on the go. Um, for anyone who follows along on our uh, I live three, but, Christy. <laughs> but with Mitch and I, we both have our own businesses and we work from home. So it just means we've got the kids at home in school holidays regardless. So trying to work, they're now at the age where we can, they're a little bit more like self-sufficient. They can entertain themselves a little bit more. So if we go away in the caravan to a caravan park, they tend to be pretty entertained and it just feels like we haven't yeah it's a bit easier we can get work done even yeah. if we just sort of tag team fantasy so, scenery for them yeah yeah and they always make friends and if we're at home they just and understandably it's hard but they always want to have friends over and yeah I get that so this means that we can get work done but we can also have a holiday and they can have you know a bit of school holidays and have friends to play with what have you been up to what are you doing with yours just juggling different people with, I've got Billy who is on school holidays. Uh, my younger two still go to care three days a week. So that's helpful. Mm. But uh, yeah, my husband got home last night. So he is on dad duty. Yay for week. dad. Yep. <laughs> so that is a little bit nice that I don't have to worry about the juggle. <laughs> but yes, little outings here and there, spending time mm -hmm. with the grandparents. Goodness for grandparents. Goodness for grandparents, I tell you. <laughs> so good. And we are both looking like matching today in our places. Look at that. Like we're just taking it up a notch. Really professional. If you didn't see this week, we actually, the sleep teacher went on national TV, our little sleep teacher company. We're very excited about this. Oh, so exciting. I was so nervous. Oh my God. This It was <laughs> So I was so nervous. Beck actually was like blocking out her consults because she wanted to be able to watch. She moved her consult times because she wouldn't be able to watch. Um, for those who didn't see, yes, why we were order. we were on national TV earlier this week talking all things baby sleep, what we love. But oh my god, you nailed it! It was very nerve wracking. So yes, that one's ticked off the list. Probably never again. <laughs> Probably oh, that's never just again. the beginning. <laughs> never get invited back. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so that was exciting. But other than that, it's just, yeah, business as usual with six kids between us in tow. Uh, I was going to say, have you been able to binge any series that I'm always looking for recommendations? Look, as much as I know you're all about Sex and the City, I've actually <laughs> gone down the Firefly Lane rabbit hole the other day. Oh I seriously watched the two series in about like three days. Did you blow but, your eyes out like me? Oh the last like few episodes, I... It really it was very close to home for me with it was my dad. Lot. So um, oh, yeah. I just, I found that really, 
I don't know. It was a lot, but it was good. Like I liked like, it. Are you like? Are you, are you okay? Like that's you're very loud. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It was good to get it out again. <laughs> no. It, yeah. Um, if for anyone that hasn't got on the Firefly Lane bandwagon, it's really good. Yeah. Mm, all our midnight mums out there who are up breastfeeding and want to pop those headphones in, if you aren't listening to our podcast, yeah. you're looking for um, Yeah, I would highly recommend Firefly Lane. I also watched 10 Pound Tom. Oh, uh, loved it. Yeah. Loved it. That was really good too. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. So that was a good one to watch with the hubby. Yeah, that was on stand. That was a good one. Yes. Great. Well, we are really excited. We've got our good friend, Susie Prout. She's a lactation consultant. Very excited. We are going to be talking everything breast to bottle feeding and between. So let's do it. Hi there. Excited to be here. Oh, yay. We are always sending people your way because... Look, feeding and sleep, they definitely go hand in hand and <laughs> we don't have the answers, but you do. So we thought today we would get you on and you can answer all those burning questions that come our way, not only with working with clients one-on-one, but also our inboxes and our Instagram messages, they get flooded. So we are so grateful to have you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here because I agree it goes hand in hand and often we think that we can do feeding and then not worry about sleep or we can worry about sleep and not worry about feeding but there's no reason why you can't do both so it's important to do this what we're doing today. Yes and so you're obviously a lactation consultant but you are also a midwife so you have a wealth of knowledge with our clients, we obviously see a lot of parents worried about, you know, the stages of night weaning because when they come to us, they are obviously wanting to improve on sleep and that can mean dropping feeds overnight. So one of the main concerns we often see is what will happen when I stop having those feeds overnight? Will I need to start pumping in order to maintain that supply or will it regulate what happens? So I guess from our point of view, we always take our night weaning process very slowly. Like there's no cold turkey. It's a very gradual approach. But what would be, I guess, your suggestion to that? Yeah. So it does depend also on a few things in terms of the baby's age and how breastfeeding is going and how your milk supply is going. So in the first 12 weeks or three months, we don't suggest doing anything. We just suggest letting your baby demand feed day and night. We can start being a little bit more towards that 12 weeks, but really that three weeks is that fourth trimester. And so we tend to just let your body really establish that milk supply. We know that milk supply is established from six, eight to 12 weeks, and then it's pretty good. And then it is more about what the baby is taking on a 24-hour period rather than our hormones and how big our spaces are between feeds. So in the first 12 weeks, even if we fed really, really well in the day, but we had massive breaks in the night, that can affect our milk supply. But after about three months, that doesn't tend to happen. We also then, so say you've got to three months and four months, and then I know that obviously around that four months time, sleep goes a bit haywire. And that's when I often always get the questions, okay, now I've really had enough. You know, I've been on the demand for four months now and it's, you know, what can I do? And I always say, do you have a fine milk supply? Is your baby gaining weight well? Is breastfeeding going well? Yes, yes, yes. Their baby's, you know, growth curve is good. Then you can slowly be more selective in how and when you feed at nighttime. So some babies are very good at taking what they need in the day 
either on their own accord or with a little bit of help, can stretch out those feeds at night. Some babies can't. It also depends on some mums may have a borderline milk supply and maybe a low milk holding capacity per breast. So those babies can be a little bit more tricky, but there's no harm in slowly, as you say, just gently working out if your baby is okay with that, stretching out some feeds at night from about the four months. However, babies generally will feed through the night, not all through the night, but you know, a couple of feeds or one feed until they quite establish on their solids. So maybe that's the eight months time. And then some babies, and this could be mum's choice, will, you know, feed in the night for a couple of years, but they don't have to. So mums don't have to feel that just because their baby wants to do that, their baby might be having really good breastfeeds in the day and a good amount of solids and still wanting to comfort feed on the breast at night. And some mums feel guilty wanting to stop that, but they don't have to if they don't want to. They can certainly look at decreasing and removing those feeds. Sure. Yeah. And obviously we don't work with clients prior to four months anyway. So our clients are always over that age. And as I touched on before, we would never go cold turkey and remove, like if a baby's having four plus feeds a night, you can't physically expect them to just go from four to nine. So it'd be a gradual approach and say we went from four one night to two the next. In that instance, would you recommend mum needs to pump to maintain supply or is it just those two feeds will help to still maintain that supply? Yeah, no, when you're dropping feeds at night and baby is doing well with feeds and weight and everything, you don't need to express because what your body is looking at with an older baby is it over a 24-hour period, how much milk is that baby removing? Probably about 750 mils. So over a 24-hour period, they'll probably still take that amount and your body will just gently start to regulate And so you will start to make less milk overnight because you're not feeding all the time, but it's not going to affect your day feeds. You're still going to have enough milk in the daytime. It's not going to affect a 24-hour period. It's going to affect the fact that you're not going to feel so engorged in the night. But we don't want you to feel engorged in the night. We'd actually quite like your body to start slowing down at night because your baby is not needing it. And then if, you know things change and baby became unwell or something happened or sleep went, you know, poor again, your body body is very good at making milk again at night when it needs to because you've got a really strong supply in the day. So your body's really good at making it again when you need. And then what's the best way? Like I remember waking up and being like, wow, I was so engorged. And It was very uncomfortable, but what is the best way to take that pressure off? Because it is, it's one of those things you're obviously supply and demand, I guess. But yeah, how would you suggest to take pressure off? Yeah. So sometimes you actually do need to express a bit in the night if like, you know, all your baby's doing this amazing sleeping, but you can't sleep because you're so sore and engorged and can't even lie on your side or your tummy or anything. So Sometimes you do need to, but the best thing to do is if you do need to do it at night, if you can't sleep through it or if you've got blocked ducts so you're feeling really sore, is to just express for comfort. So we're just hand expressing is probably the best bet. Oh, you could put a pump on, but you're not draining the breast completely because when we drain and empty the breast and it's empty or nearly empty, your body sends messages to your brain to say, oh, make more milk. We don't want those messages sent to your brain. So we just want to take off the top layer 
And so you just do it until you feel like, okay, I can go to sleep now and that's fine. If you don't do that and you manage to sleep through and then you're really, really sore in the morning, I certainly remember with my first that happened and then I fed him and then he vomited everywhere because I probably had about 250 mils in his tummy. Um, Before putting baby on a really rock hard boob, you want to express first probably two or three minutes, just hand express to soften around the nipple and the areola and take off that first really big spray and then give baby that side. And if it's a really full boob, your baby might not want or you might not want your baby to have the other side, right? Because then they're going to have a huge amount of milk and it's too much for them in those first few days of engorgement after baby sleeping through. So then what you could do is you could actually put like a hucker or a gentle pump Mm. on the other side just to make it so you're not going to be so engorged waiting for your baby to take that next side on the next feed. So you just want to take a little bit away so baby's not so overloaded. And often if babies are not amazing at latching, they find it very hard to latch on a rock hard boob because they haven't got elasticity in there to pull the nipple. Then they end up having a shallow latch and it's sore. So yeah, it's a bit of trial and error because some mums are fine with it and other mums are like, no, I really need to take some off. But what we just yeah. want to do is express when your baby is not feeding, you're just expressing and then it's like your body's never going to get the message to yeah. blow it down a bit. Yeah. I remember I used to get in like a hot shower just to like get that all lit and take the edge off because it was, yeah, it was uncomfortable. And yeah, like you said, I remember, I think it was Hattie, like her I remember looking down and my boob looked bigger than her head. I was like, this is not going to work. You are not getting on there. That was the best tip that I got with my third. He latched in the hospital and then before my milk came in, it was all going really well. And then like on day three or four, my milk came in and he couldn't latch and I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, we were going so well. And because my boobs were so big and then the midwife came in and she's like, just express a little bit, get some milk out. And then he went back to latching really well. So I was like, oh, feels. Yeah. 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 And then it's, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. You can then be questioning, have I got enough supply? It's so hard. Like, it's so hard to know. How can you tell if your supply is dropping or you have enough milk. What are some of the common signs? I know it probably seems obvious, like the feeling and whatnot, but how can you tell are there ways? So yeah, we often feel like we're not getting enough milk around that four-month period because babies become more unsettled, unhappy, don't sleep as well. And we don't have those really full breasts that we've had for the first few months because our body has now regulated really well. So we don't feel full. Our baby is not that happy. And automatically at that four-month time is when we see a huge increase in mums going to formula because they have a perceived lack of milk supply. It's not a real lack of milk supply, but it's perceived because all they think about is how I'm feeling. How can I possibly have enough milk in there? And our breasts are very good at not necessarily having huge amounts of milk sitting there, but they're very good at making the right amount of milk for your baby. If you exclusively have breastfed for the first few months, it would be very, very rare for a mum to have a good milk supply in the first few months. And then if you're not doing anything like 
bottles or, you know, messing about with your supply like that. It's very rare for your body just to not make enough milk because that's just not how we work. So what we would do is if at any stage you feel like you don't have enough milk, don't go on your gut feeling because we know from studies that that's not an effective way to look at our milk supply. Go by baby's weight. So because you're not having solids yet because you're under six months, the weight is going to show you everything. So we just know that they're on the right growth curve. And then as well as weight, we also want them to be weighing, you know, not concentrated and weighing enough in the day. And their poos are, you know, copious and liquid. And then we also want baby to be relatively satisfied after a feed. I mean, some babies are grumpy and they've got reflux and things, but relatively for a couple of hours, they're relatively satisfied after that feed. You usually can feel a letdown as well. And even if you don't feel as full as you used to feel in the first few months, you definitely will feel the letdown and then you will feel the breast empty throughout the feed. So the best thing to do is to just pop down to, depending on where you live, certainly in Perth, your child health nurse, and you can just get that reassurance with the weight done because we just know how common it is that girls be like, oh, it's just, I don't feel like I have enough babies waking eight times a night. It's my milk, it's my milk. And then, you know, and then we go down the slippery That's slope. Of totally top. the first go to, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah I know. Yeah. And Beck and I see that a lot. They're like, oh, you know, they're questioning their supply. And mm. as we know, <laughs> Sleep issues have them for a lot more reasons than just, you know. Yeah. It's also outside people saying, oh, maybe they're hungry and then you're downing yourself and that's where, yeah, those top-ups start to yeah. begin as well. Oh. And so the one reason that you wouldn't have enough milk is something called insufficient glandular tissue, IGT. And that is something like when you're in puberty and you grow your breasts, there's for some reason you don't make enough milk-making tissue. And so very rare, probably about 3% of women will have that. That will come ahead in the early days. You would never have made enough milk mm. for your baby. If you have been able to make enough milk for your baby, you haven't gone to bottles or too much dummy use and too much messing with the pump then there is no reason for your body to just stop making milk. Sometimes in some rare instances, if you get your period back early, those hormone changes around your period can cause a drop in your supply temporarily around your period and around ovulation. And for some unlucky women, it can cause a drop in supply permanently. But all these things are not common. So it's never, you don't want your mind to go there first. You want your mind to go, mm. it's probably fine. Let's get the weight checked. Yeah. If you are feeling like it is a little bit low or even if you're starting out and the milk doesn't seem to be flowing as what you would expect, is there ways that you can help boost your supply at all? Yeah. So what we really want is for the first couple of weeks of when you have your baby, that is when we really want to smash the milk making because that's when our hormones are at the highest and they're able to just like go crazy. So we see ladies having milk supply issues if they didn't do breastfeeding well in the first two weeks. And this is why I always try and get ladies to buy my program in pregnancy because they need to know about this stuff in the first two weeks, not mm. when things have gone yeah. shit in at four weeks. Um, Go so into it educated. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't really learn breastfeeding on the whim. It's something you've got to learn before. Took me three goes. <laughs> oh, I still remember like it makes my toenails curl under like the latching on those first couple of yeah, it's like it's hard, and so I was like, "Is that normal, or was it that I didn't know what I was doing? Like, is it normal for it to be that painful?" Because I was, yeah, I felt like razor blades. 
Yeah, if we have a bit of damage on our nipples from the first couple of feeds, then no matter how well our feed is, while we're recovering, they can be quite sore. Usually if the feed is going well, it's really sore on attachment, 10, 20 seconds. And I'm always saying to ladies, don't be like, yeah. oh my gosh, something's wrong. Just wait 10 or 20 seconds. If it gets better, then the feed's going well. Yeah. If it's not going better, then you take it off and you try again. But often ladies go in and think yeah. it is going to be painless in the first couple of weeks and it's not, but it won't be a painful thing long-term. That's what we're always trying to get for the ladies to understand. It's not long-term pain. It's just it's on attachment for a couple of weeks. Establishing it. That's yeah. so good that you've got that resource there because honestly, I think if I'd had a bit more of an understanding of it too. It was just that I guess you're only getting told by the midwife in the hospital or whatnot in it while it's happening. Whereas if I'd known beforehand, I probably wouldn't have got to the stage of damage to my nipples and I probably, you know, would have had more of a supply too, but it was just still learning. And, you know, I think we go into it as well. A lot of the time, first time mothers, you kind of just expect the baby to come and latch on beautifully. You know, you Mm. see a lot in movies or whatever, and it's like, oh yeah, Cool. And that's why I learned through, you know, subsequent children, like getting the breastfeeding education before while you're still pregnant is mm-hmm. like the hottest tip I could give to yeah. any first time moms. Or even, 100%. you know, it took me three times to get a really beautiful breastfeeding journey. So I think, yeah, the education before and knowing what's normal and, you know, help support Mm. if you do want to breastfeed is the way to go for sure. It's a learned skill. It's not natural. We've never done this before. How on earth, bub and mum? Yeah, baby and mum. And it's just a bit like sleep as well. Like how do we know how to get our babies into good sleep? People think it's meant to be natural. It's often not. We need to learn it. And we think that we shouldn't because we have had this baby. But it's like if you change your mindset that you're learning something new, then it makes more sense. And so boosting that in the first initial sort of weeks, would that just be like all that, you know, keep your fluids up, putting the baby to the breast, you know, contact, what's it called? Uh, in the skin, skin. yeah. Skin. yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. I was so thirsty too, like so thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Thirsty. Don't even get me started on the snacks. I was hungry. <laughs> I don't. You always like snacks, Christine. <laughs> it would be, yeah, making sure that if your baby is not breastfeeding really well, that you have an expressing plan in place. So somehow every three hours during the day in those first early weeks and four hourly overnight, that somehow either by your baby or by a pump, you're expressing both those breasts at that time. So your body is like, okay, more milk needs to make more milk, more milk. And if we always ensure in the first six weeks that no matter how your breastfeeding is going, always put the importance of your milk supply above attachment. Because if I see a lady who's not put their baby to the breast yet on day three, I'm not too worried about the baby not going to the breast because we can get there with that. I'm automatically like red flags, like how often have you actually expressed? I'm more worried about that milk supply than the latch at that time. Because if we can ensure that we've got like a plentiful milk supply, we can always get the latch right, but we can't go the other way. Yeah, right. And what about things like, back touch on water, but like the lactation cookies? And yeah. Are they, are they helpful? Well, we don't. I mean, they're delicious. They, they taste amazing. They're great calories. They may work. And the thing is, is there's lots of anecdotal evidence. People swear by yeah. them. They really do. And so I never use them personally. If I look at the evidence, there's no evidence that they actually do anything. But, you know, they can't hurt, can they? I mean, if they're not going to do anything. Zero. 
They, they may be a placebo as long as when you are using them, that if you ever think, oh my gosh, I'm worried about my milk supply, I'm going to buy a cookie, that's a red flag. Because you should be like, I'm yeah. worried about my milk supply, I'm going to see a professional and get my milk supply up. And then maybe if I want to have some cookies at the same time, go for it. But what I worry about with cookies is that you're like, okay, I've got a problem with my milk supply, I'm going to go online and order some cookies, it's going to take seven to ten days to arrive, and we've wasted all this time where cookies yeah. are not going to be indeed yeah it's about yeah I, I wouldn't personally use them i'd rather just have a really good nutritious meals and heaps of water and see an ibclc like a lactation consultant and bring the supply up but then there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there that girls are saying no they definitely work so it's tricky it's a tricky one probably yeah. case my case yeah yes yeah yeah <laughs> gonna be an argument on either side of the fence <laughs> Is your little one an amazing sleeper? You can pop them in the cot and they'll happily go to sleep unassisted, but there's still that one pain point you can't get on top of, whether it be transitioning from naps, early starts, fragmented night sleep, false starts, whatever it is, our quick fix consult is perfect for you and your family. We can go through your situation, identify what is causing that one little issue and put a plan in place and restore sleep to your house. All you have to do is go to our website, book in that 30-minute consult, and sleep is on its way. Do you have any tips for women? Because a lot of the time, if you're having trouble latching in the hospital, they'll offer the nipple shield. That happened with my first. Is there an ideal time to, because the nipple shield can be amazing because it doesn't hurt when they're latching, but then you can be really scared to take it away. And is there an ideal time to make the switch or really be like, okay, we're not using that anymore? Obviously when the nipples have healed or whatever. Yeah. So nipple shields, I really love. I think that they have really changed some ladies' breastfeeding journeys and some ladies will use nipple shields throughout their breastfeeding. Mm, I did. Yeah. For 11 months. Yeah. yeah, it It doesn't have to end. With the nipple shield, we like, okay, why are we using it? If we're using it for damaged nipples, well, then we're going to try and remove it when the nipples are healed. If we're using it for nipple pain, we keep using it, but we keep trying to not use it and fix our attachment. If we're using it because we have inverted nipples or completely flat nipples that there's nothing protruding out, then those babies will usually use those nipple shields for at least three or four months and then we'll try and see with an older baby if we can get them on that breast. If not, we go back to nipple shields. And the thing with nipple shields, the main risk is that your baby doesn't stimulate your breast very well over a nipple shield compared to no nipple shield. And so because they don't stimulate it as well, they don't drain the breast as well, which means your milk supply dwindles a bit and baby's weight can be a bit lower. So with a nipple shield, we just need to have maybe like twice expressing in the day to drain the breast as well and also to have regular weigh-ins. Um, and to link in with an IBCLC because sometimes with nipple shields, it's all going great for three weeks. And then we realize actually baby's only putting on 50 grams a week. Oh, why is that all? Mm-hmm. They're sucking beautifully on that shield, but they're not actually getting much milk out. They shouldn't just be used without having a professional put a plan in place with it. Mm-hmm. Are you a little bit more at risk of mastitis using a nipple shield? No. Draining. No. No, not necessarily because you might not drain very well. You're right, but that would just cause low milk supply. Yeah. Okay. Mm. 
Mm. Well, lots of babies can be more comfortable offering one side or they seem to get into a better position and then baby naturally is a little bit more like uncomfortable or pulls off a lot more on one side. And so they tend to just keep offering the other side. Is there a way to make sure the baby doesn't get a like a preferred side to feeding? Yeah. So every baby has a preference of one side. You always have one breast that your baby will prefer to go to and one breast that makes a little bit more milk than the other, which is normal. Oh, um, it's oh, always- well, I'm not a, not a weirdo. I thought I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you always have one making a bit more. The problem is, is if we think, oh, that one makes a bit more milk and baby goes on that one better. Or sometimes if Babies like to go in the other one because the flow is not as strong. But whichever way baby wants to do it, mums will think, oh, it's just easier to start on the easy side. Or if I'm out and about, I'm just going to put baby on the side they're happy with. Or if they feed to sleep, they're like, let's just put baby on the one that they fall asleep on or something like that. That's the concern. And then over time, all that's going to do is make your baby want that good side more and the bad side less. And it's going to make your bad side make less milk because you're not stimulating it because our breasts are not connected. So just because we're feeding on one side, we're not going to have a good milk supply on the other side if we don't mirror image exactly what we do. We've always got to treat each breast fairly, which means if at eight o'clock in the morning you do left and then right, well, at 11 o'clock in the morning you're going to do right and then left. So if you're like, oh gosh, baby really is starting to prefer one side over the other, then you've got to just give a huge preference to the bad side. As much as it's hard at first, that's got to be the one where you start with. That's got to be the one that you try and express after to make some more milk. So the issue is not that you have a preferred side. Every baby does. Every baby will have a preferred side. It's that you don't like hone in on that preferred side and make it a problem in a few weeks' time. It's like that backup comforter, Christy. You've yes. got the favourite one and they know. <laughs> yes. The Why do I, don't you dare try and swap them around? <laughs> what a whining I've had that problem three times. I'm like, why did I not learn by the third time to not keep the backup one in the cupboard? Why didn't I bring it out? Yeah. Got to rotate them yeah. every couple rotate. of days. Wash, Wash it. Them. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly. <laughs> I know. You always buy two exactly the same. Exactly the same. Eat them the same. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So obviously being sleep consultants, we're all about routine. From your side, your point of view, do you see a benefit to having more, I guess, structured feed times in place in terms of like quality and quantity of the feed? Or do you think that you can get the same result from more on-demand like feeding? Yeah. So in the first four months, they would be really feeding on demand. Babies like to feed on demand in the first four months. But what happens after that is a lot of babies become quite distracted at the breast in the daytime. And in the nighttime, they just love to lie there and feed and feed and feed. So it gets really tricky to get them to have a really good feed in the daytime as they get older. Because what babies like to do is when they're feeding, they are calming down. And so if you are trying to feed your baby in the middle of an awake time, they're playing on the ground perfectly. You pick them up, you put them on the breast. They've got to change from play mode to sleep mode. And they don't want to do that because they're getting older now. So they don't want to calm down. So what they might do is fuss and fuss and the letdown might happen. They'll take a you know a minute or two and then they're off again crawling away. And then you're thinking, oh my gosh, they haven't had enough. 
I'm going to grab them in 20 minutes time and try again. They're still in play mode. And it kind of just goes to the day of you're trying to work out when they need to feed, why they're not taking the breast. So what I recommend with babies over four months, if you've got those babies, if you're happy with your demand feeding and it's all going well, you don't need to do this. You know, it's only when there's a problem. Um, we need to put in a routine, not a timed routine, but a sleep mode, play mode and feed mode. And so what you can do is you can just remember that you don't try and feed your baby during the middle of their awake time because that is their playing time and they're not going to feed well. What you need to do is depending on when you want to. So you might have a baby who has a nap, right? They have their nap. When they've woken up from their nap, you feed them then. So it's more a feed, play, sleep kind of routine. So you feed them then. And once they've had that feed, you don't try and force them to have a feed in half an hour's time, then try and force them to have another bit in an hour. You leave it. You feed them then and you leave it. Then if you're someone who feeds their baby to sleep, you may be, you may not be. If that's what you want to do, you would then feed them before their sleep, but you wouldn't be feeding them in the middle of all the wake times. Some mums prefer to feed their babies when they go to sleep. And that's their choice. Some mums will prefer to feed their babies when they wake up. But to just have in your mind that the more you try when your baby is in their awake playing time, the more your baby's going to push away. And the more that baby pushes away, the more it's going to become this vicious cycle of like little like snack feeds, a snack here, a snack, snack there, a snack. Yeah, snacking. So you've got to work out in your mind what's best for your baby. If you're trying to get away from feeding to sleep, then you wouldn't be doing it, you know, feeding them on their sleep time. But if you're happy with that and you want to do it when they wake from their nap and when they go to bed from their nap, that's fine. It all depends on how you want to do it and how obviously with you guys, if, if they were consulting with you and how you would feel that the sleep would go. But the biggest thing with distracted, messy feeding is when a baby is playing and then you're just picking them up all the time, mm. back on, back on, and they're not in that mode. Babies don't want to just lie there for 20 minutes in the middle of their playing time because that's just not what they like. They're busy. They're busy, busy. Yeah. And I think too, on our end, we see a lot of that snack style feeding and as a result, see snack style feed, like small feed, small nap, small feed, small yes. nap, because that small feed, that snack style feed just doesn't sustain a good two-hour nap. No, it doesn't. And yeah. yeah. So, you know, we'll get a lot of clients and their baby's waking partway through, like they just can't consolidate that lunch nap. For some reason, they're happy to have a short morning nap and then they'll have a bit of a lunch nap, but they just can't get it to lengthen it. And it's often, that's one of the main causes is because they're not having that nice full feed to sustain yeah. them through their lunch break. But it definitely gets harder as they get older, as you said, when they're playing and they get that a bit of FOMO as well. They, you know, they're so interested in their environment. Yeah. So, you know, having that sometimes removing distractions can definitely help with that feed, whether or not you choose to do it in their room when they've woken and, you know, their blinds are down still or yeah. turning the TV off or something like that. Yeah. It can can all help. <laughs> they yeah. definitely don't yeah. like to miss out on anything. Well around them, it was certainly certainly help with the feed because if they see something shiny and another thing you can do is sometimes you can just wear like a really colorful textured necklace because some babies want to do something while they feed it's not enough to mm. while they're being bored feeding's pretty boring and so those keys yeah and just they, they might just want to like and then they can just play here with their hands while they're feeding and you might just be able to get them through and keep them on the breast longer than if you didn't have anything for them to do or sometimes a little focal point yeah standing up and walking around feeding to just keep them on it's yeah can be tricky 
And do you have any tips for, we obviously have a lot of families who have a great breastfeeding when they're starting out and then they need to go into care. So, you know, daycare or whatever. Typically, they might not have ever had a bottle before and then they're refusing bottles at daycare. Mm. Is there any way for a family who know that they're eventually going to have daycare or have someone else looking after their child who want to exclusively breastfeed to make that transition a little bit easier or start introducing a bottle at some point so, you know, it's not brand new for them, especially when they're in a different environment without, you know, mum or dad? Or is there something that they can help for, a bit of a plan that they can have in place for that while still looking after the breastfeeding journey? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that when you introduce a bottle in the first six to eight weeks of a baby's life, their sucking reflex is involuntary. So you put something in a baby's mouth of that age, dummy, bottle, finger, and they'll just suck it. That's just what they do. So it's very easy to teach a baby to take a bottle in the first six to eight weeks. So some mums who know that at four months they're going back to work or, you know, this might be their third child and they know what's coming, we'll put an introducing a bottle plan in in the first six to eight weeks not more than once in 24 hours after a breastfeed. So we're not affecting anything. If you do one bottle in 24 hours, you're not going to affect your breastfeeding. You're not going to cause nipple confusion and breast refusal. More than that, it can get tricky. So that's the first thing. But, you know, ladies come to me as they come to you. They're past that eight weeks. They're like, yeah, that's all well and good, but we didn't do that. Now we need to teach a bottle. And so a baby over the age of eight weeks, their sucking is voluntary. So they have to choose to suck. They have to choose to eat. They have to choose to suck. And so the first thing with bottle refusal is there's two steps. If you feel baby's refusing a bottle and you keep trying by just putting a bottle in their mouth when you're holding them like a you know normal hold and you're just checking the baby bottle, that's not going to work because the first thing you have to do is get your baby happy with the bottle. So not even with milk in it. You can just give the teat in with that, you know, at, with the lid and just watch them for safety with that. But just get them used to not being scared of a bottle just attack, you know, coming into their face like that. Once they're used to doing that, then you can put a tiny bit of milk in and they just can play with it in playtime. It's on the play mat. Once they are not scared of a bottle in their mouth, that's when you can teach them how to drink a bottle. So you've got to break it down into like familiarity and then teaching mm-hmm. them. And the other big myth is people think, oh, if mum's out the room or daycare, they'll just be able to do it. Like with my bottle refusal program, my online program is that I always say to the ladies, you're the mum, you're teaching them. You're the one that's with them all the time. Might be the dad, whoever's the primary caregiver of this baby. You teaching them how to give the bottle because a bottle needs to be taught. The program that I teach and the steps and everything, it it's a every awake time event for three weeks that we're doing this to get closer and closer because bottle refusal is so hard. So we don't automatically think, oh, it's okay because when I'm out in the room and they're hungry at daycare, they're going to give it. No, yeah. they're overwhelmed, scared. When a baby's got adrenaline and they're all nervous, then appetite is gone as well. So is there a, because I used to work in childcare and you know we did see these babies who would just flat out refuse the bottle they would have some solids if they were over six months I guess is there an age where it would be okay you know because not all mums can come back at lunchtime or throughout the day to Mm -hmm. offer that feed so it's very stressful for 
mother whose baby won't eat at daycare. So is there an age where it's like, okay, we know that the bub has had a feed when they've been dropped off at daycare, mum, let's say, or someone can pick them up at, you know, three or whatever it is and have a feed at that point. Is that okay if they're having, you know, a little bit of water or solids through the day to not have milk for daycare day purposes? Yeah. I mean, ideally in the first 12 months, you know, a baby is having formula or breast milk, but if the mum has to go to work and we have to use care, we have to make a way around if baby won't take the bottle. And so we'll get quite clever in that. We're like, right, okay, is it actually okay if they just have a yogurt pouch? You know, it's not breast milk or formula, but it is still got some liquid in it. It's some dairy, you know, that might do. You can make those pouches where you pour it in yourself and you could do a breast milk fruit smoothie thing. It's a good idea. And- so add some milk into the solids. Yeah, add milk that. into yeah. the solids. So we often will try and get, you know, mums to work out a smoothie that the baby will like and that can be it. But otherwise, if baby is just literally not going to take it, then we do we make sure that we smash them with the water and solids and they have a breast milk or formula in the morning and when they get home from daycare and then over the night, they are going to have to probably do some feeds if they're not having yep. any in the day. Yeah, it's not like the be-all and end-all if they don't take a bottle. The really little babies, like six, seven months, where they're not having huge amounts of solids, it might be more tricky. But those babies, it's pretty easy to get like yogurt and you know yeah. things like that into those babies if you spoon feed. So yeah, we know that it's an ideal, but at the same time, we can make it work by just being really like clever about what that specific baby likes and using that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. So one of the big things that we get asked with, especially around the festive period, is do I need to pump and dump? And I have spoken to you about this in the past, but for anybody listening, not only, I guess, having a glass of wine, but we also get asked about coffee because we work with a lot of mums that drink coffee. Mm -hmm. So what are some general guidelines around whether it be having a cup of coffee or having a glass of wine? What should we do? Yes. Okay. So with a coffee, I think it's 200 milligrams. I could be completely wrong, but I'm very sure it's that per day, which is fine to have. That's probably, if you're thinking of caffeine, like a, if you're having a coffee out, that's probably one coffee. But if you're making instant coffee, it's probably two coffees a day. If you're drinking tea, it's about four cups of tea a day that you can have. But you can have more. It's not going to negatively affect your baby, but we know that there is then enough caffeine in your breast milk and some babies don't care. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't matter what their mum eats or drinks. But some babies, you know, even one coffee or a couple of cups of tea, those babies don't sleep as well, don't act very well. And so it's a bit of a trial and error. I also have on the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast, if you want to like deep dive into this stuff, I've got a breastfeeding and caffeine episode and a breastfeeding and alcohol one. But in terms of a general sense with caffeine, you know, it's trial and error, but you can have a couple of cups. And Mm -hmm. that goes with like chocolate and things like that that have caffeine as well. You just got to watch your baby. Certainly with my babies, I didn't drink coffee, but I drank heaps of tea all day and I don't think they cared. I really don't think they cared. And so that would be the caffeine one. With the alcohol, pumping and dumping doesn't work in terms of taking the alcohol out because the Mm -hmm. alcohol amount in your breast milk is exactly the same as the alcohol amount in your bloodstream. So it's not like sitting in the milk in your breasts and waiting to be removed. 
it's going to be exact, even if you pump constant down, thing. Mm. just got to wait until your yeah. alcohol blood level is back to normal for your milk. It's also very small amounts that go through to your milk. It's not going to be like if you have a glass of wine, it's not like all that wine's going to your baby. It is very small amounts. Minimal. And we also have a Feed Safe app, which is from the Australian Breastfeeding Association, which you can download to your phone and you can be like right at, you know, 10 past 10 or whatever. I don't know, you had this wine and then it'll tell you how many hours or minutes until you'd be able to breastfeed again, which is a really good yeah. app to use. But generally it's about an hour 20, I think, for like a yeah. standard drink. So probably best to do your big feed and then make it. Yeah, do, there's absolutely no reason why you cannot do your 7 p.m. feed and then have a yeah. glass of white with dinner. I mean, I think there's absolutely no reason. Yeah. And it's more of a concern is not the alcohol through the breast milk. It's if you're drinking too much, it's a safety concern for holding your baby. Okay. Your baby, that's yeah. the concern. It's not necessarily the amount of alcohol in there because it is pretty minimal, Yeah, you know, especially if you're just having like a couple of drinks. So uh, it's certainly not something that you have to be like, right, my whole breastfeeding journey, I can't have things that I like, you know, wine, coffee, whatever, sugar, sugar yeah. chili, Chocolate. all these things. It's just like, I just have to watch your baby. I mean, some babies really don't like a mum having like chili and acidic foods like tomatoes and red capsicum and I remember that I had Billy like was the most placid baby and I had tomato soup one night and the next day he was screaming screaming and I had no idea what was wrong with him and I'm yeah, freaking yeah. out. And then I, I put it together. I was like, oh, my gosh, is it from the tomato soup? Nothing. Yeah. That's it. Where is found onion? Onion, yeah. Well, one of yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's trial yeah, and error. It's not hurting your babies, but it's trial and error that we've just got to be like, okay, all these different foods and how it's going to affect and things. So, yeah. Wild. Oh, it's mm. good that you have these resources too. I think we talk about it all the time, like how far, and it's obviously for the better, like how far the services are coming now. And, you know, back when I had my first, like, like 11 years ago it was crazy how you know still there yeah it's so isolated but you really were like on your own sort of thing once you left that hospital you had you know you had the midwives in there and I felt like everyone sort of too had their own way of doing things too every midwife came in and they suggested a different thing so I felt a little bit confused but then when I left I was like I don't know like I was yeah. one sleep consultant like there was a book there yep. wasn't a lot of lactation consultants and now it's they're so readily available and it's amazing because, as you said, we're all learning. It's not something you meant to just be able to, you know, yeah, do yourself. Yeah. It's actually um, really hard. It's right. I mean, you do get those women who they're fortunate and they just latch on and it's great, but yeah, I think majority of us do find it really difficult to establish. Establishing yeah. feeding, mm. honestly, was for me... I remember having this conversation with my sister-in-law one day and I was like, I would rather get up of the morning and go through my birth again than have to do that yeah. feeding because it was so hard. Yeah. I questioned it so much, but that was with my first because I just didn't know. And by 12 weeks with my first, I was mixed feeding and I went, you know what, I'm getting up every night, I'm making bottles, I'm sterilizing bottles. What's the point of doing both? And that's yeah. the most ridiculous mindset to have. But that's the point I got to because yeah. I was just not, I was uneducated. I honestly was. Yeah. And I was sleep deprived. I was like, you know what? This is all just getting too hard. I'm doing two things. It's pointless. But then yeah. with the other two, I breastfed until they were one and I found it so much easier. Like, mm -hmm. easy. honestly, I thought at first I would feel like, 
you know, I couldn't go anywhere and they were so reliant on me. And like, obviously I'm their mum, and they meant to be reliant on me, but I meant, I felt like I was going to get myself in the position where I physically couldn't leave them to, you know, go and do the groceries or anything like that. But it was actually because we had the good sleep foundations in place. We had that routine. We had established a feeding routine to mirror that. My life was so much easier. Yeah. And yeah. And it was because I educated myself and I just had those tools to go in with it. And yeah, it's great. It's so good that you've got, you know, that pregnancy course as well as the bottle refusal. So you're sort of targeting both. Oh, both. Yeah. Yeah. It is <laughs> so good. Yeah. Take long and go and have a fourth and you can oh, oh, you go. <laughs> <laughs> look out. Joke. <laughs> no. Men to look out. <laughs> Uh, oh dear no thank you so much so we will pop your instagram handle and your link to your website all in our show notes so that anyone can find you there is help for everything out there you know whether it's breastfeeding or sleep or anything with your baby don't just go it alone you know there's so many things that you think oh what a silly question or you know, should I be yeah, and get expert and advice? Don't expert. listen to your mother's group. <laughs> yeah, don't go to Google. There is so much out there because all it takes is one professional just to get you back on track, and then you're back on track. You know, rather than yeah. in three weeks' time still having a problem and still waiting it out. That would be my biggest thing. Is there are people out there to help you? Yeah, yeah. Don't be too proud. Not the help because it's <laughs> like, like if you want to lose weight, you're going to go and see a personal trainer or a dietitian yeah. or someone to yeah. get professional advice because yeah. you're not meant to know this stuff. You haven't studied it. So, yeah. And anyone can write anything on Google at those 2 and 3 a.m. Google searches. Yeah. Yeah. And as much yeah. as those like mothers, the source. your friends, everyone means so well. But at the end of the day, every child is so, so different and, you know, your feeding journey is going to be different to theirs. So it's hard. There's not that one size fits all. But yes, thank you so much, Susie. I know that our audience are honestly going to appreciate this so much. I've actually taken away a lot now. Oh, my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff anytime. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Sleep Teacher Pod. We hope you've walked away feeling just that little bit more at ease with your parenting journey. Please remember, nothing is a problem until it actually becomes a problem for you and your family. If you've enjoyed our company today, we would love if you could please subscribe or leave a review or maybe even both. But if you are wanting more sleep tips right away, use the link in the show notes to find out how you can get started with one of our amazing sleep consultants and follow us over on Instagram at The Sleep Teacher. We can't wait to be back in your ears next week with more sleep tips. Nighty night.